from the campus of Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. You're listening to the G Suite Podcast, where we discuss all things Zag business. Episode 6. David Tagami is a manager of the technological team at Armanino LLP, where he explores the application of AI and other tools to big data. He also serves as an adjunct instructor in the MAC and MSBA programs at Gonzaga. Professor Tagami discusses the wild and emerging world of AI and analytics. Tagami, my brother from another mother, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I never heard it like that the first time. I was going to ask you about it later. Uh, just, just living the dream. Our interns are in office right now. Um, so we, we took them to lunch. They just finished training. So. so you got the company card out. Everybody gets to go to lunch. You know, you got your zags there. Yeah. Molding yeah. the next generation of leaders. Man. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I'm, thanks for hearing me. Well, with us today, we have David Tugali, an, an adjunct professor uh, for us here at Gonzaga. And he's uh, also has a day job. I'll let you talk a little bit about your day job. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Stuff. And of course, inevitably, I'm going to bring it back to Hawaii. You know that. But go ahead and start. What do you, what do, you do? What are you doing these days? Give me your give me your career journey. What's going on? Yeah. So start off to where I am right now. Um, I'm a manager in our risk advisor group at Armin Nino, which is a accounting firm that's I believe in the top twenty by size. Um, and we started in San Ramon, California. But I sit in the Bellevue office, or as I tell our admin, the Greater Seattle Area office. Um, and I'm a manager um, in our automation, data analytics, and um, machine learning department. So the, the group I roll through is responsible for building um, automated and machine learning driven tools for our IT audit teams and eventually the rest of our, um, our service lines to help them utilize and embrace technology to gain more efficiencies uh, in their day-to-day. So my client now is actually our, our audit and, and professional service teams. So, uh, so your internal guy. So, so yeah, those are some, those are some of the, the, the hot, you got some hot terms there, automation, machine learning, and data analytics. A lot of people like to throw them around. You're probably one of the few guys that knows what those mean. Give us some details of what, what we're talking about here. What are you doing on the audit side for your for your your internal professionals? Yeah, so our audit side, um, what we're doing for them is we're we're actually starting process first. I know um, I, I've seen a lot of places just think that automating something is as simple as going to um, like Best Buy when when they still had physical stores and walking up to a box on the shelf picking it up, buying it, and then shoving a CD in your computer and you're done. Um, but now with how complex everything is and how complex the profession is, when we talk automation, we're actually talking a bottom-up um, approach, uh, looking at our processes first from, from a high-level point of view. Like if you're looking at how to gain efficiencies in uh, audit engagement, we're actually looking at the audit itself what steps are in play, what processes do we currently do, um, and, and we flowchart it to, to identify in a very um, legacy way 
where are the bottlenecks? Where are the pain points? Um, our, our clients are the auditors. What seems to take a lot of unnecessary time to do? And once we identify those things, then we think about how we can utilize uh, tools like, like Python scripting, like um, Power Query, like the Alterixes, um, to do it faster, to, to save the brain power of our auditors um, for times that they need to make critical calls or critical decisions um, on something. So I, I like to call it exception-driven thinking, where we find the anomalies in data for our auditors and then escalate it to them to make a call on. So they're not just sifting through thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of rows of data to find those things. Yeah, I always think of it, of course, I'm a tax guy, right? Like how painful it is when you're a tax staff and you get the shoebox full of receipts and um, yeah, even like 1099, like brokerage statements, and you're just doing the manual entry. You're like, oh, I went to school for this, right? You know, and, yeah. and it, it's getting better right now. You can actually yeah. connect your account and we'll pull the, the info and I, certainly less error because you don't have the human... I'm tired after, you know, a 10-hour workday, and I'm still doing data entry. So, yeah. and uh, that's actually a really good example of automation on the tax side is um, getting data from different pieces of evidence and, and using um, optical character reader technology, OCR technology, and and filling in different areas of certain forms for our other, uh, for our tax professionals that normally they would have to. Um, plug in by hand and it's something as simple as that right i love it i love it i think it's you know everyone always freaks out about uh automation will will take your job away uh i don't think so i don't think so in fact one of the one of the great quotes quotes i've heard recently and it wasn't to do with with rpa or 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 analytics but actually with with ai and it was that uh, ai won't take your job but a professional yeah. who uses AI will take the job of those who do not, right? The professional that doesn't yep. leverage or use AI. So, uh, so, so true. So, uh, yeah, it's, I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, in the, I'm not one of those freak out guys. Now, granted, you know, the last coding I did was 25 years ago and I'm not really in the, 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 the thick of a lot of the things that are going on, but, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a doomsday when it comes to AI. Maybe I'm an idiot, but just for for reference, I sold Microsoft and Starbucks in 2003, thinking they were bad investments. So maybe, maybe you know, maybe you want to go get that cabin in the woods and start getting it stocked up for the AI monsters to come get you. I don't know how that's going to play out, but it's hey, a good old um, buy low, sell high, or a buy high, sell low. Yeah, yeah, I'm a buy high, sell low for the guys. For sure, for sure. Um, you hit actually something I think really, really important to understand for those um, that are curious on, on how AI and automation and technology um, are going to impact um, certain roles, uh, particularly in the accounting field, where it is going to create a situation where people that can utilize that technology well are, are going to be very dangerous compared to those that can't. And, and we actually talk about it. Um, offhand when we're looking at things like chat GPT, where it's going to create essentially two groups of people. It's going to create people that are more abled and less abled um, because there's going to be folks that lean on technology like a crutch and they're going to lose certain 
technical aspects um, of the of what we would expect in the profession because they're using the tool to think for them versus the second group of people are going to embrace it um, and use it to enrich what they're doing and allow them to become more efficient while um, continuing to develop and sharpen their technical expertise. Uh, the, the way I describe it to folks is I'm not replacing you with a robot. I'm giving you the, the jetpack, the rocket launchers, the, the, um, the plasma blaster arm to make you cooler and faster and scarier, but I, I'm not replacing you as a whole, as a person. That's, that's very well put. You know, is, is it me? And, and this might be my skewed perception, and, and maybe you have the same rose-colored glasses on when you look at this, but I feel like the accounting industry has been kind of at the forefront among other businesses, business lines, industries, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, to adopt and, and implement a lot of these tools. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm fooling myself. I mean, maybe the airlines have been using it for years on some level, but I, I feel like we've been really kind of thrust to the forefront in accounting on, on, uh, on, I guess, business analytics. I don't want to get my, my wires crossed here versus AI versus, uh, but technological tools. I don't, I don't know. Is that, is that a safe, fair statement? You think? I think we're one of the industries that's, that's getting hit first. And I think a lot of it is because we're exposed to trends and, a whole bunch of other industries, particularly tech, uh, financial services, um, logistics, transportation, and the holy grail, right, is, is having a data analytics team that's so good that you can almost tell the future uh, using their analysis. We're never going to get there, but uh, I feel like where this impacts us is that um, I think it was um, the signal and the noise, the, the Nate Silver book, somewhere in there, I may be misremembering it, but I think there was a turning point in the first decade and a half of the 2000s. And, and I think it was around 2009 or 10, where we had come to a point where as a species, we were creating more data than we could physically analyzed if every single person um, just sat there all day and, and analyzed transactional data. So that was, um, I think, one of his pillars on why analytics is important. And the volume of the data being produced only grows with every passing year. I, I want to say in, in it, around the same time, and maybe he said it as well, it was like, the data we've created since like in the last 10 years is more than all the data for yeah or some, something some astronomical yeah. something you know, like data. that right yeah yeah and if you think about how crazy it's been right um people want things faster more efficiently um and there's less tolerance for mistakes like i remember in gosh 2012 when um i just graduated i needed a printer to print off some forms for uh, my first job and i went on amazon and this is right when prime was um, getting popular in seattle and i ordered a printer and i got an email two hours later that it was dropped off and i was in awe 
yeah. that that things move that fast. So, like when I was in high school and middle school, granted I was, you know, on a rock in the middle of the ocean. I ordered a DVD from Amazon. Two weeks was a fantastic turnaround time. You were certainly you were. It's a volcano. You're on a volcano. You're not. You're on a yeah. chain of volcanoes. <laughs> so rocks, I guess, is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I feel like, uh, you know, if I'm shopping somewhere else and it's like, oh, we'll have that to you in two weeks. I'm like, what, what world are you living in? Do yeah. you think that that's going to be competitive for the typical consumer? uh online but but i may not be a good data point so I've, it's well established i've been of an amazon problem you know when you, when you when you come home and there's boxes on this you're like what did i order i totally forgot who knows what i ordered at 2 a.m when in the middle of the night so uh craziness so so it, how does a kid from oahu get to where you're at today give me the story take me from yeah. the, the early days of you know yeah, yeah, that's actually a really uh, long-winded, but but I, I think interesting story. And I actually have to go back and I don't, you can't see it, but I have note cards kind of all around um, you know, on this desk in here because I, I wanted to make sure that um, you know I wasn't misremembering anything. But so it all started um, back when I was a junior in high school, and, and like most juniors in high school, you're looking at what college you're gonna go to. Um, and at that point, I was pretty convinced I was going to be um, an engineer of some sort. And I, and I actually had my heart set out at um, University of the Pacific out in Stockton, California, of all places. Okay. Um, and I forget why. I think it was just because um, they had come out and done a couple of presentations. I come from a family that was in construction and engineering seemed... Um, like an interesting thing to do. Um, and other schools I had on my radar were University of Hawaii and University of Washington because I had family up um, in the North Seattle area and I always loved coming to visit. And out of the blue, my, um, <clears throat> my mom comes home and, and says, hey, I ran into your old baseball coach at Safeway and I stopped playing baseball, I think when I was 12 or maybe even younger than that. And and he had told my mom, hey, I think like David's getting ready to look at colleges. Like I, I did engineering. I went to Gonzaga University out in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Uh, he still called it Spokane, but I just think it's funny. Um, and, and he was like, hey, a weekend, um, I, I, as an alumni, I can waive his admissions um, fee, the $50 that, we, that you have right. to pay to fill out the form. My mom was like, you may as well just apply. And, and we can go and add it onto our little college tour that we're going to take you on um, when we go to visit UW. And we can just make a road trip out of it. And we can we, you can go there, take a look around, and see how you feel. You might not even get in. Um, and... Funny enough, um, this guy Wayne Silva, uh, and his actually his name I think Waddell's is still there. His name is on the wall in Waddell's somewhere, signed on the wall. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe his daughter played on the soccer team years and years back too. But he said, "Hey, there's an uh, there's a event for uh, potential uh, students at the golf course." Uh, later on this week, you should come. So my mom kind of dressed me up and we went 
totally expecting to see a whole bunch of other high school students there. And, and um, my own baseball coach had kind of embellished what it was for, and it ended up being the alumni uh, mixer. Yeah, so perfect. when I was perfect. in high school, I get there and they had me um, from Gonzaga swag, and I still have it to this day. It's a it's a blue bottle opener keychain. This is awesome. alumni association on it, um, and that's uh, actually I met Father Spitzer there when he was Ooh. still at the school um, because he's from Hawaii. He went to Punahou. Um, yes, he, he did. Yeah, so he came back, gave a speech, and my mom was like, "This is definitely not for prospective students." But I got to meet the alum and, and really got to see the community up there and how much they loved that campus. So that slowly won me over to being more open when I visited. Um, and, and I I can't say I was the biggest fan flying on the prop plane um, over the past to London Spokane. The Horizon, around, but, the, bomb, the Bombardiers on the Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> Q400s, um, but beautiful campus. And... and after looking around the, the other choices I had, I, I really, really liked the community that they had over there, um, the importance that um, the school has on education of the students and really helping you find your passion and helping you find your place in the world. Um, so I decided to, to attend Gonzaga, um, and that's the story how I ended up in Spokane. Did you do, um, did you do yeah. gel weekend or anything like that? A lot of people get hooked on at gel weekend. I actually didn't do gel weekend. Uh, if I had a regret, was not doing gel weekend and not doing the, um, I think it's the the Hogan weekend or there was a leadership weekend. I was, um, uh, my, yeah. my counselor had recommended me to go, um, but I didn't. And that's probably like one or two of the regrets I, I had not going up, uh, not to, the, the two things that I wish I had done before I got there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I went, so I went to, I went to high school up the street and Gonzaga prep. Uh, I didn't even apply to Gonzaga. If you can imagine that. I know, um, I'm a fourth generation Zag now, but uh, yeah, I went down to Wazoo for three semesters and then eventually transferred back. So I missed out on all that, all that stuff. I transferred back. I had a semester in Spokane. Then I went to Florence. Back when you had to go to Florence for the year. Oh, wow. Um, so we did. I mean, it was pretty awesome setup, right? You got you Oktoberfest in Munich, semester in Florence, you travel every weekend, you do Christmas in the Middle East, but they got they were fighting, so we got redirected to Turkey. And Turkey's like it was like taking a bus tour around like central Washington. Not that central Washington doesn't have its uh its its positive points, but it's not wasn't ideal for for Christmas when you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna be. And have a Christmas mass in uh, you know in Jerusalem, um, but um, then second semester, then we did we did Africa afterwards like that. So oh, my whole wow. Gonzaga experience, you know, other than a quick stint in Dooley, was all that abroad. Then I come back and I'm senior, right? Now, of course, I took a victory lap because I was an accounting major and we had this ridiculous fifth year that just came in, um, and and we can talk more about that in a little bit, but. Um, um, very different than than the guys that rolled in and lived in CM, knew everybody, everybody knew everybody, you know, oh, yeah. where'd you live your first year? <laughs> so I actually lived in Chardin in the suites. Um, it's the, the building across from the health center. Okay. Um, yeah. And actually, funny enough, um, that was not where I, where I picked 
So I, I was coming in with a friend from high school. Um, and, and like she actually um, ended up transferring to Creighton later um, to do um, more, I think it was pre-farm, but, but it was a friend I had from high school that we went actually to middle school together as well. Um, and we studied uh, for a lot of our AP exams together and it's just out of coincidence, we both ended up going to Gonzaga our freshman year. So we were like, hey, we should live in a co-ed dorm. So at least we know someone else in our building. So I actually applied to Cremont I believe it was Cremont, um, the summer before they made it an all-girls dorm. So, so I had applied and because everyone's like, yeah, you can you can apply there. Like it's not really a high demand dorm. So I applied to to live there. And then they're like, oh, it's an it's an all-girls dorm. So we're just gonna fit you wherever there's space. Uh, so I ended up in Chardin with with actually uh three really cool guys that um came from all over. I think one was from Denver, one was from Oregon, and the other one was from Connecticut. And I ended up rooming with two of them in Sharp Apartments the year after. Wow. Yeah. So what's it? Is it a cultural transition? I mean, I think Spokane would be a cultural transition for pretty much anybody, (laughs) right? Because, you know, if I'm from Denver or Connecticut, right? Now I'm in Spokane, man. I mean, (laughs) And from Hawaii as well. I mean, was I mean, you're a pretty chill, easy going guy. So it's probably pretty easy for you, and you can get along with anybody. But uh... oh, it was a it was a hard first two years. I, I still remember the uh, first week I was in Spokane, and I think it had hit 65, 60 degrees, and and I thought I was going to die. I I. I I felt like I was on an Arctic expedition. <laughs> I had I had winter clothes and everything too. And I remember standing by the lamppost in the corner of, um, I think it was Sharp and, oh shoot, um, the one right next to Chardin and, and calling my parents being like, I don't know how I'm going to survive four years up here. Can I just come home? Um, yeah. But it was fun. I mean, the people were really genuine and you're right there was a a, a cultural difference um even from the way that that we generally speak right um in hawaii there's a lot of pidgin uh english which kind of plays out like an accent but there's a lot of terms that that are different and, and it's almost like um like a, a different form of creole english all right um, and and the biggest thing that still i get caught caught saying to this day is um instead of a trash can we call it a rubbish can because <laughs> you know, we have the we have the union jack in our state flag there was there's a lot of terms still from <laughs> across the pond right right yeah. wow. that's funny so i you know obviously you know john correa really well and my ass professor yeah. who grew up on the big island and we have a new um professional over in our enrollment management team also from the big island they're about 20 years apart um, but they know a bunch of people. I guess everybody knows everybody on the Big Island. But uh, you get those guys together, and they it's like they just code switch to pigeon, right? Pigeon, oh uh, yeah, or whatever. And it's just like boom, boom. And you're like, well, what's going on? I, I mean, you can kind of follow it. I mean, I just feel like a lot of yeah. it's abbreviate a lot of words. I mean, and speak fast. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. 
That's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. But I interrupted you. So you, so you hit Gonzaga, right? So you're taking this journey. What's 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 next? You're an engineer. You're a freshman. Oh yeah. Gonna... Yeah. So I had declared. I think I believe it was general engineering, and and I still remember to this day sitting in the old um conference area of the old cog. I don't you know you know if you remember it was where the stage was on the second floor by the cat in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. 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 And they would line it up with chairs, and we were sitting there. And I think it was the dean of the engineering school um, was giving a, a, a welcoming speech. And at this point, I had gotten my schedule and realized, holy smokes, that's a lot of calculus. I hated calculus the first time. I don't think I want to do engineering anymore. I, I'm not quite sure this is for me. So, in the, the he was giving his speech. Um, saying, you know, look to your right, look to your left. Chances are one of you, uh, one of the people you look at, including yourself, isn't going to be there. And I turned to both people on either side of me. I said, you're both safe because I'm changing majors. I'm not going <laughs> to finish this. Um, so I, I kind of switched like right out of the gate and, and took some time to decide what I wanted to do. Um, I spent the first semester kind of taken just the core classes and then a couple of electives um, to explore what majors there were out there. And I remember I took an Education 101 class that I really, really enjoyed. Um, my mom's a, a, a educator and I, I really enjoy that aspect of, of teaching and mentoring. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll do education um, and through some good conversations with the professor there, um, he had convinced me, hey, if you want to do secondary education, go and major in, in, in something else and pick up technical skills and come back. Stay here if you want to do elementary or special education, um, but go off. Um, I, I can tell that you have passions elsewhere. Go and follow those. And then if you want to teach when you're done with school, go to Teach for America or come back as a master's student. And I think that was really, really sound advice. So from there, um, I followed something else that I was interested in in high school, and I coded a lot. I was in actually an engineering and tech learning pod in high school, um, and I code. I coded just about everything. So I saw the information systems major in the business school, and that's how I ended up walking the doors of Jepson doing that. Um, after I had declared uh, as an MIS major, I had met um, a grad student from Maui um, named um, John Choi, who uh, we met in the Hawaii club. Uh, and he was like, oh, you're, um, you're living in Chardin. So he would walk um, on his way back from Jack and Dan's or to Jack and Dan's, pound on my door and say hi. Um, but I, we had a conversation where he's like, hey, you're an MIS student what you should do is you should add on accounting if you have the credit space because i've i've heard that's a really good upcoming combination and you probably have the credit space to do it and that's how i ended up double majoring i had every intent on finishing my my mis degree um adding on the double major and like it'll, it'll be nice to have but I'll, I'll probably end up being like a systems analyst like my dad was um, at the construction company he was at and then you, then you, you did some accounting, and then the rest, the rest is history, huh? Yeah, it was. You know, it was a little rocky. 
touch and go first couple of semesters through Eddie Beer's um, um, accounting um, two and intermediate accounting courses. Yeah, yeah. Um, where like yeah. you get like a he had the he had the craziest grading scale, right? It was. Mm -hmm. I mean, like an A was like a 98, a 99 or a hundred. An A minus was like a 97, but that just wasn't it. Like you could, you can get like a 98 on a test and he didn't put it in as a 98, he put it as an A, four points. Then you get like a 92 yeah. on a test and he, and, or he puts it in as a B or something like that. Then you get like extra credit, 105. You're not going to average those threes. You're like ah, 105, it's still an A. You just get the four point for it. It was just like impossible. To, I mean, like there were so many hurdles at the end of the day. But he, he's 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 probably my favorite of all time as far as you know getting the most out of me as a student, you know, and and wanting to mm -hmm. and learning a lot from him. So it was really I was really motivated to work hard in his class. Yeah, he became my academic advisor. I think sophomore or junior year. And honestly, was a great asset um, to have, um, and just a great person overall that that I could ask for guidance and get an honest response back to. Um, and that really was a, um, a a really huge blessing to have that kind of guidance with 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 any of the faculty. I, I know um, I had a lot of good conversations with um with Sarah Kern with um Gerhard uh, about just life and like what the career looks like and really those conversations helped guide me to um to stay for the masters to go and and look at the different firms and look at it beyond just jobs and really looking at the culture and the communities that what we're going to yeah, I man, that's kind of what Gonzaga is all about, right? It's 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 a neat neat place for sure. Um, yeah, crazy. So then, where 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 did you start professionally? What was your first move? Uh, so right out of school, um, well, right out of my master's. It's funny. So, um, so John, the the grad school student that I met my freshman year, from Maui, went went to a firm called Peterson Sullivan. Um, out in the middle of Seattle in Union Square. Uh, he worked there. Uh, you were down in Union Square. Yeah, and we were in two Union. Okay, I think, okay, uh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm thinking of something else. Okay, that's kind of by the convention center, right? Or not far from. Yeah, basically attached to it. Yeah, perfect. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he had gone there and he enjoyed it. I, I had conversations with him about how he liked it there. Um, I also, I think that was the only offer I had out of college. Actually, I had one more going back to Hawaii. Um, so I was torn and I, I, I talked to him a lot about well, what are the pros and cons of staying up here versus going back um, to the islands to start your career. And he said, you should start your career up here because you can always go back home and just, it's different. The pace is different and the work is different. You get to see more and experience more. Um, so... I went to Peterson Sullivan um, in about 2012. And I remember I signed my offer letter and I always tell John, I'm always, I was always chasing him for the first probably 10 years of my career because I, I called him and, and I told him, I'm super excited we get to work together um, at Peterson, uh, bringing the band back together from college. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I think you're gonna like it there. 
um, I just put my two weeks in. Yeah. So, yes. so I put in a good word for you. I think I think you're gonna do well there. Uh, but it's time for me to move on. So I started there in the the audit practice, um, and I'm particularly focused on um, nonprofits because they're a new huge nonprofit shop, and I tried to push um, as much uh, push into as much tech work as they had, which wasn't that big at that time. Right, right. Leverage your your degrees. That's so. I had a similar experience. Uh, you know, when I started at Deloitte, it was a guy I had known from Gonzaga, uh, and had randomly met, and uh, he was there, and I was excited to kind of be his his mentor, mentee on the ground. And literally, it was like literally like a two week difference. Like he was gone, and I rolled in. I think, yeah. I, was, I, think I got his old desk, basically, kind of feel. So yeah. He's at he's at Amazon now, making ridiculous amounts of money. You know, whatever whatever those guys do, so um, crazy. Okay, it's so then Peterson Solvent, which is now BDO, right? BDO. They are now BDO. I, I believe as of twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, yeah. they're now BDO. Yeah, and then where, then was it to Armenino after that, or where did you? I had a couple more stops between okay. there and Armenino. Um, so so I um, left. Peterson in about 2015 and and throughout that time um John had been on Alaska Airlines um in the internal audit department okay perfect yeah um and, and I heard for years hey this is a really really unique and and um stimulating group to work in um and, and what made them special is um the two folks that were um the two past managing directors of those groups, um, Burke and Wendy, had created a really strong um, framework around how to use CPAs for aviation audits. Because they, the way that they were set up is internal audit participated in a lot of the enterprise risk exercises um, that the company um, performed. So there was a side that still supported, you know, um, IA for socks and, and did internal audits over financial processes. Um, but I was um, in the, IE, I was tagged as IEP, internal evaluations, which is, a, I believe from what I've heard, an uh, FAA title. Um, and I was doing a lot of safety and operational audits when, huh. I, was, uh, when I was there. So Steel hedging, ground handling, um, FA um, compliance audits for flying extended range flights to and from places like Hawaii, um, mobile device management for the little pads that the flight attendants and pilots use in their go bag. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the cooler ones I did too was um, audits over the entire process of what needs to be done before an aircraft takes off. So we spent a couple of weeks in their um, at their central operating center where they went through the processes of weight and balance, field checks, head count, um, making sure that the manuals and the training for the people that were touching the aircraft prior to um, takeoff were updated by them to the minute. Uh, it, it was it was incredible how that took the the risk based process that we walk through for financial statement audits and applied it to completely different subject matter. But interesting. But like 
I digress. Going there, um, I, I've heard all these cool things about this job when I was at Peterson. And, and my buddy was like, hey, whenever you're ready, there's usually an opening that pops up every year or two. Um, and by 2015, I, I, I was ready to try something else because um, I, I wanted to to learn about more than just financial statement audit um, and wanted to actually dive into IT and unknown to me at the time, a lot of operations. It was really interesting. So I, found, I saw a posting that popped up and I applied for it and, and I called my buddy. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm applying for the role finally. Um, I'm going to come and work with you. Uh, so my application is that he's like, perfect. This is great. I think you're really going to like it here. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, yeah, that opening is my back, though. I put my notice in two weeks ago. Um, Thanks a lot. You know, forever following him. He actually, and that was the last time I, I, I kind of ended up following him. He actually went back and now works in Hawaii and has been there for years. Um, I mean, we did, there's a bunch of stuff in between um, from me going there to him leaving because um, we did like STP and a bunch of cool um, activities around Seattle. But I was at Alaska through the Virgin America um, acquisition um, for a couple of years. And, and at that time I was getting this itch where I really, I enjoyed the aspect of what we did for audit, but I wanted to start building things and I wanted to start um, not just <clears throat> um, um, doing pure audit. Um, and I found an opportunity uh, with the longshoremen at SSA Marine under the West Seattle Bridge um, doing system implementation work. Um, and it was kind of cool. It was, you know, a um, transportation um, company that managed the terminals um, and worked with a lot of heavy equipment. They, they essentially, for those that don't know longshoremen and stevedores, um, they do a lot of the loading and unloading of the containers um, on and off of the big container ships to um, the the eighteen wheeler trucks to um, trains um, to basically everything. It's a huge cog in logistics and getting um, a lot of the products and goods that we use every day. I, I can tell you, I think it's I forget what day of the week in Seattle. If you look, there's a whole ship where it's nothing but bananas coming into Seattle because that gets loaded on and, and gets dispersed. Um, um, to many other states and cities. But at that time, I really wanted to expand my, my knowledge base in tech. And that's when I ended up going back to school um, to get my master's in information systems. And to kind of speed us back to where I am now, uh, around that time, I had an old buddy from, um, from Peterson um, that was at Armanino. Actually, Mike Travis, he's a former Zag. We were in the Mac program together at the same time. Wow. Um, he was in the Seattle office um, at Armenino and connected me with the partner that, that ended up hiring me. And our conversation was along the lines of me saying, I have no desire to audit ever again. Um, but it, it Mike had, had strongly suggested that we meet and talk. And we had a candid conversation of, well, what, what do you want to do? And I had um, expressed my desire to to really morph into more of a program or project manager around tech. And I know there's a way that I can probably combine um, my background together with the emerging technology to to do some good and and to provide some service that's that I think there's going to be a need for. And he said, "Well, hey, 
we really are looking to automate a lot of our processes in audit. And you understand what they do. You understand the importance and the methodology of what drives the audit. Why don't you come and help us try to automate that? And fast forward, I've been here for, I think, about three years and maybe nine months, I think, at this point. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's really cool. And I, eventually, I wrote you into teaching uh, for us. Uh, I wish you a fabulous job at it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, that was, um, I think, something that, that I'm still, I think it happened at the right time. And any earlier, I probably would have said, you know what, I'd, let's wait for a little bit. But I remember when we spoke and you tossed around the idea of teaching Python programming um, and, and some automation concepts to our accounting students. Uh, I, I think, yeah, that was just such a blessing to happen at that time. And, and yeah. it's... I think two semesters in teaching that course and it's been nothing but fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and it's going to be that foundational course in the new uh, Masters of Science in Business Analytics. It's going to pop up here in the fall. We're waiting for the marketing launch on that. I don't know what, uh, what, the, what the time, I think it's end of the month. So, uh, Oh, but, exciting. Yeah, so we got final approval, and uh, um, sooner than I thought, I thought it was going to happen in July, but uh, the, the, the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities uh, gave us the thumbs up, and so, you know, we, I think we already have six or seven students in the program, that was just word of mouth, right, and not officially in the program, but waiting in the queue to get, get pushed through, but uh, so I can't imagine what it's going to be like once we, once we launch. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be a good uh like you know it's just such a good and i and I, of course i'm thinking from the accounting perspective you know particularly at gonzaga you get such a good accounting foundation and then to sprinkle on top with the masters uh in this you know it's it's kind of like no one just knowing excel or knowing how to leverage you know tools like google and it's 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 essential to your job you know you'll get so outpaced by everybody else if you're not on top of it. So but it's exciting, exciting times. Yeah. So yeah, things, things are moving fast. Uh, and yeah, it, it's going to be, I think, really exciting to see where everything goes from here. Um, so I saw you. How many weeks ago was that there, David, when I was sucking down gin and tonics like it was the last <laughs> day of Earth? Um, come two, two, three weeks ago, wouldn't you say? Was it yeah. two, three weeks ago? Yeah at the uh, Washington Society CPA's annual meeting. And we had some discussions there, uh, uh, or at least kind of scratched the surface. No, no, we had some decent discussions on the this 150 credit hour rule for accounting, um, which is kind of a hot topic for me and, and full disclosure for folks uh, listening, uh, for, the, for the person listening. Hi, mom. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the current chair of the Washington Society of CPAs, and anything I say in this podcast does not represent the Washington Society of CPAs, of course. The, the views are mine and mine alone, right? Um, yeah. For me, and I, you know, I was a student when they moved to 150, and, you know, I, I guess I was in the mode of, you know, that's, this is what the, the people in charge are saying, so that's what I have to do, right? And as I'm kind of sitting in my seat and I, I run two and then soon a third grad program this fall, 
you know, when you look at requiring someone to get an extra year of college in anything that they want, doesn't have to be accounting or tax or IS or analytics, anything they want. Uh, it just doesn't seem to serve much of a purpose, particularly when, you know, when I talk to my, my Alaskan colleagues, uh, you know, they take dog mushing to get four credits and get them closer to that extra 30 credits they need. Um, so I, it, it, as you well know, I'm, I'm very much in favor of what we're calling an alternative pathway, which would be 120 credit hours. Uh, so basically it's an undergrad degree uh, plus an additional years of experience. That to me sounds like the most reasonable because, you know, when you look at learning, it's, I think it's a bit of a ping pong where, you know, there's a certain amount of learning that can be done in depth, but there's limits in the classroom. And then, you know, that application in real life, you know, fills a lot of those gaps, but then you run up to limits on that end too. I mean, I remember teaching CPEs for Moss Adams and, and you get some seniors in there and they're hungry to get back in the classroom. And then, you know, you're, you're telling them stuff and like, oh, that's why we did that every time. I don't know, it's just what the file said. It was busy and it was 11 o'clock at night. So I just did the old Sally same as last year. Um, so that entirely makes so much more sense to me. Uh, and I'm talking too long as per usual, but your thoughts, your thoughts on, on the, let, let's say 150 versus 120 versus maybe pipeline, uh, you know, because we're having a problem in the profession as far as getting people interested. Um, and I view this 150 rule as a sub, sub part or component of that issue. Go, Tagami, you got it. Professor. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, yeah. I'm, I mean, we definitely have not sat in the same room and and discussed discussed this before. Or sat in the um, in the WSCP annual meeting and and have heard the same thing. I, I've taken some notes down in here to try to make the argument across the board for every which option, uh, and, and I think it is interesting. Um, and I guess before I I go off on this. Hi, mom. You're, you're probably listening to this too. So there's at least two people listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it's very interesting now because if you, I know a few of us have sat down and talked about the 150 rule, and you know they always teach us to ask why, right? So the, one of the first things we ask is, well, why was it 150? And a lot of us at this point doing a lot of digging we really couldn't come up with a good reason other than you could bill um, staff with graduate degrees at a higher rate, right? right, right? Um, and when I was going through um, undergrad, I did the grad program to uh, kind of strength. I, I realized technically I, I could have been a little stronger um, and talking to some of the professors, um, and, and looking at my no job offers, I think after senior year, yeah, like it, it was the right move for me. And the way that that Gonzaga sets up their program, where you can launch from your junior into grad school. Oh, I apologize, that was my junior year into grad school. Um, it is just seamless. Um, and at, but at that time, right, there were way that's, more that's, that's, that's applicants. Called, it's called jobs. the accelerated program now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, program. there we go. The accelerated program. Um, it, it was 
in the employer's favor at that time because there were multiple applicants for every job opening. And and I know right now the number that we throw out is there's a little north of 1.1 million accounting jobs that are coming up this year and next with only 700,000 folks to fill it. So with the shift of times and, and the opportunity costs where now, at least recently, you can go into tech and make more money than your friends in the county and right off the bat and you don't have to stay for another year of school and and not make anything we got to change uh, I, I know looking at the 150 hour rule for me where i saw a lot of value in going to grad school and not getting the proverbial master's degree in basket weaving um, i'm just doing anything the math program here I, I i think what really was golden is it focused into a lot of the why and a lot of the theory that made me a much stronger practitioner uh, versus having not gone through that. Um, and it's not because we can't move that into the undergrad program. It's that there's just not enough space to teach everything there is. And then on top of that, teach staff how to go through the codification or codification, whichever uh, branch you prescribe or you subscribe to. Um, so it's I like, was one of the it's like SQL and SQL. Yep. Which, which one is it? Oh, yeah, go back. <laughs> oh, S SQL. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, that, that, that hurts a little bit um, when I hear that. But but yeah, I was one of the few staff that was comfortable doing research and really digging into why things uh, were the way they were and building up an argument and interpretation based on what the literature says. Um, so that's kind of where I look at the benefit of uh, the 150 hour rule, but more more or less that extra year in grad school. I, I, I think that absolutely is still going to have its place. However, like with the pipeline and, and with the way that we need to kind of reinvent ourselves as an industry, um, I, I think you're right. There's There's a lot to be said about just an undergrad degree or maybe even uh, uh, an accounting minor or an associate's degree with a certain amount of experience in the workplace with a lot of on-the-job training where we could say, hey, you have maybe an undergrad degree with five to seven years of experience working under a CPA. Is that good enough? Like, should, should I think that is honestly um, at the point in your career where you have developed a lot of the technical aspects um, of a practicing accountant where you would do well sitting for the exam. Here's what I know. Abraham Lincoln never went to law school. He just, he read the law on his own. And we can do the same, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, it's so true. And, and, I, and I think it's, I like the alternative pathway because it's an individual journey, you know, that some people, and, and to be honest, we'll get students in here, not all, but that have a bunch of AP credits and they're 18 years old and they're a junior, right? And the maturity is just not there, right? So, yeah. They don't do well in interviews, and um, and uh, sometimes they could use the extra year. Um, so yeah, with the accelerated program, it's such a deal. And I mean, you mentioned the why as not as opposed to the how. I mean, I I think I've said this before. Casey McNeil's accounting theory class is my favorite, in, in all the programs, it's it's uh it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and you know, one thing I at every orientation. When we get all the, the the Mac and the tax students in there, and I always promise them that when they're done in a mere nine or ten months, 
uh, some take a little longer, but most get it done in a year, two semesters, uh, that, uh, that when they go to their first job, they're going to be the most technical uh, among their peers, other than the other Gonzaga students, obviously. But uh, and I've had quite a few people come back and say, "You're you're right." I mean, we, you know, there were concepts that we had learned that 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 uh, that others had had no idea what even existed. So that that always feels good. At least you're getting, you know, you're getting your money's worth. Oh yeah, <laughs> Gonzaga. So that we're, we're close definitely. on time here, but my my last my last quick question for you is, you know, when you, you've done some mentoring, now you're a professor. Uh, what what's a, what what are some words of wisdom you give to the the that that student about ready to embark on on her career in, in accounting or analytics or business? Yeah, I, I mean, I think honestly, regardless of of where you embark. <laughs> there's a couple like meditations that I go through and, and things that I think about um, that, that kind of tend to ground me. Um, I, I know one of them is, is to try to always practice the attitude of gratitude. Um, I, I, it's, it's easy to forget how many genuinely good people um, are around you for pretty much your, the entirety of your life up to the point of where you got to. And how much of what you've done was not possible without either kind words or mentorship or guidance uh, from those folks that that cared enough to, to tell you e even hard conversations um, to always remember that. Um, I think it's important to um, and and I'm pulling from way back. This is I think this was the mission of the elementary school I went to is they wanted to. Um, develop learners for life always folks that that are always going to stay curious and constantly um chasing the pursuit of of knowledge and, and remaining curious and and not get jaded with with kind of what you're doing or, or how you're living and i think the last thing and this this one's going to sound a little corny but but i think it resonates a lot um with me recently is the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. It's, it's going to be greener where you water it. And you have to remember that where you focus your time and effort is where you're going to see a lot of reward and you're going to reap the fruit of that labor where just because at this point, it doesn't really matter what you've done before this. Like if there's something that you feel like you want to achieve, you're going to have to work for it and you're going to have to, to, to water that patch of grass. The appropriate amount to to enjoy the um, the results of, of your efforts. It's a process, man. Yeah, and, and you practice what you preach. I know that much, man. Wow, that's some great great stuff. Hey, well, appreciate you, uh, and and looking forward to the next time uh, we get to see each other in person. Of course, always. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, and 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 thank you for for having me on and thinking of me throughout this. I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes and to listen to the other guests you have on. That's right. All right, man. Cheers. Aloha. All right. Cheers. Aloha. Talk to you. Bye.